Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, welcome back to UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast on episode 57. It's Stephen Diener right here. Karen Curtis over there. I almost forgot my name for a second. <laughs> Karen, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you so much. Before we get started, I wanted to bring up a guy in the Philippines who shouted out to us. And he apparently loves UAP. Oh. Yes. Well, that's and, good. Yeah. And <laughs> we found one. Apparently we had a little glitch on Spotify. Yeah. So everything's been rectified, I guess. All Everything's back to normal, but... I, I'm going to just chalk it up to an alien blip. I think it was. I think the aliens were trying to... They're like, um, man, these guys are accurate. They were trying they to stop us. That. They didn't They didn't like what we were saying. But yeah, no, shout out to... I think it's... And I, I hate to say anybody's name wrong, but um, I have Matthias. Yeah. So he, he shouted us out and let us know there was something wrong with the show on Spotify. And he wasn't, I had noticed it as well. And maybe, you know, you as well noticed it um, for anybody listening. There was like duplicates and triple episodes of yeah. stuff we had already done. There was a weird um, glitch in the system we had to get with our parent company to look into it. And they got it. There was something wrong with the coding. Long story short, really? it's boring, oh. techie stuff. But they fixed it. So hopefully you're not seeing that weird glitch anymore. If you are, let us know. But thank you to uh, Matthias there in the Philippines. Yeah. You know, a lot of people uh, on, on his end who just follow him on social media. So we appreciate anybody who listens yeah. to the show. He's got a check mark. Spread it out. Yes. <laughs> he does have a check mark. Very yeah. impressive. I know. Spread it out. If you like the show, spread it out so other people can enjoy it as well. But this is episode 57. It's Northern Lights Part 2, Karen. I love when we have multiple parts. Good. Yes. Good. I'm glad. I get ner- nervous sometimes about the multiple parts series episodes that we do just because I don't want anybody to get bored on the same subject but I feel like we switch it up even in the you know the series that have multiple parts in it because this is Canadian hot spots <laughs> and I think you're and gonna, it's all in Manitoba that right you're gonna notice that it's I didn't mean to do that it's I wanted so to funny. spread the wealth Canada is a very big beautiful country and un, well I shouldn't say unfortunately but just out of circumstance it all every story we end up covering here is in Manitoba for whatever reason, but we'll give you some other stats about uh, Canada in general. But before we do that and get into the, some of these stories, because it's one guy that we're going to talk about today as one of the craziest encounters I've ever heard. Oh, it's wow. It's kind of sad, too. I'll be honest. It's, it's just the end result, but we'll get to that. Does he a, die? A, no, no. He didn't die. Is he maimed? A little bit. No. So, yeah. It's, uh, so we'll, we'll get to that. That's... Uh, really quite a fascinating story and he had a big interview about it too so you're going to get to hear from him during the story itself but before we get into all that here today karen you have a factoid i do you always do what I you do. got there today well you know this dart what does that stand for it's an acronym for double asteroid redirection test okay and i am convinced real quick by the way that nasa came up and to their scientists or whoever names these things and said listen we're calling this project dart we know it's called DART because we're shooting something at an asteroid. 
Think of something that can fit into the acronym DART. So they, I'm pretty sure they worked backwards. Yeah. That's how I, I think like you're right. Yeah. They reverse engineered DART. How could you not want to name it DART? Oh, my God. It's so good. So they say their spacecraft, I didn't it go like 7 million miles? It was pretty far out there. Um, and I don't know if that's light years or what the heck, but um, <laughs> it, they intentionally slammed it into an asteroid. Well, it was successful and it changed the course. It's fascinating, really. Of the asteroid. So we now know that they will be able to do that in a real world situation right. if something's coming at us. But I do understand that they need to have a head start. Okay. It's not something they can do instantaneously. Like, um, there's an asteroid about to hit us. No, you have to send it out like months ahead of time or years ahead of time. Yeah, it's something. So, I don't know. It is fascinating, though. I mean, the the math on how that works and how they're able to figure out, okay, this object in space that's moving 20,000 miles per hour, we have to hit this object that will hit that object. It's, I don't know how they do it. No. Well, here's the NASA administrator, Bill Nelson. It was expected to be a huge success if it only slowed the orbit by about 10 minutes. But it actually slowed it by 32 minutes. Oh, Wow. And how, how does something like that Yeah, happen? how do they time that? They got like a stopwatch up there? or it's amazing. <laughs> uh, you know why it's loaded? No. Because of the thrust, oh. Stephen. 7.6 million pounds of thrust. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's talking to his wife. Oh, no, no, oh. no, no. Help me. Future oh. mission will visit the double asteroid system to study further the impact area. It's just the way he says that I gets know. me every time. You want to hear it again? Sure. <laughs> 7.6 million pounds of thrust. All right, I'm sorry. I know we're being silly. I'm sorry. So that was Bill Nelson, the director of NASA. An incredible, successful test there for the DART mission. Getting back on the subject here, the amount of, get this, okay, just as far as stats go for UFO sightings since it's Canadian hotspots, the amount of UFO sightings in Canada has been increasing year over year. According to the 2002 Canadian UFO survey published by UFO, Ufology Research in Manitoba, and Toronto had the largest number of sightings with 34, followed by Vancouver with 31, and British Columbia with 25. Then on July 15, 2018, a Canadian news site mentioned that a new study conducted by the Ufology Research in Manitoba formerly known as, they, they took off the Manitoba name. It doesn't have that on there anymore. They now say that there's more than 1,000 UFO sightings reported in Canada back in 2017, and that number has continued to grow every single year up until now. Here we are in October of 2022 when this episode is being made. So the question begs, why? Why is Canada becoming this, this hot spot? The last time we spoke... On episode 56, which was part one of our Northern Light series, it was all about some rarely mentioned UFO sightings in the most northern parts of the United States. Some really fascinating, I mean, I, I thought anyway, thought-provoking stuff. In case you missed it, it was you can go back to episode 56 and, and listen to part one. Uh, but now it's time to move even further north, okay? As we explore some of the most unexplainable and inconceivable sightings in what we're calling... Canadian hotspots. So I want to point out Manitoba. Yes. I just looked it up. So Beautiful it's like in part the, of the world. central part of Canada. Yeah. It's right on Lake Winnipeg. Right. And it's just kind of like southwest of Hudson Bay. Okay. So I wonder. It's a huge province. It really is. It goes very far north. Yeah. I wonder if there are any of those, what are they, USOs? Or, 
There could be. And actually... Because there might be that... I'm thinking, why is Manitoba such a hot spot? Because mm. you got Hudson Bay and Lake Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why do you say that, Karen? Uh. Because our first story takes us to what could be considered um, really one of the earliest sightings in recorded modern history and the earliest sighting in Canadian history as far as something that was recorded. In Manitoba... There's been over 200 or 2,000 sightings alone in the past 200 years. And this one dates back to 1792. No, see, Cuba or Cuba, Canada <laughs> and the United States weren't there because Christopher Columbus didn't find it until oh, that year. No, no, no. They were still there. That's when two explorers named David Thompson and Andrew Davy they reported seeing something that they just could not explain. I mean, it's hard for us to explain unidentified lights and sightings in 2022. Imagine trying to explain it in 1792 when there was nothing flying in the sky. So David and Andrew were already on the continent? They were in Manitoba. They were explorers. (laughs) Who's this guy? (laughs) They're doing their thing. Now, this guy here is a famed uh, Canadian UFO researcher. He's done a lot with Canadian research into the UFO and UIP phenomenon. His name is Chris uh, Rutkowski. And he explains a little bit more about this story dating back to 1792 right here. David Thompson was in an area that was now around Thicket Portage in 1792. And it was winter when they said that um, they had seen a mass of gelatinous luminosity um, moving through the air. And it actually approached them. And when it was in a few hundred feet of them, it dropped to the uh, surface of the lake and vanished from sight. So... Gelatinous luminosity. luminosity, isn't that ectoplasm? It sounds kind of like it, doesn't it? Because I can tell you that gelatinous luminosity. That is a definition, not a, a definition, but a, an explanation. Um, I have never heard no. before in a UFO sighting. No, that's that's new to me from a witness account. But there is a little bit more uh, detail here to this story. It actually, comes straight from David Thompson's diary. So it reads this basically how he and his traveling companion Davy were surprised on the nights that we're talking about here by what they called a brilliant meteor of globular form. <laughs> okay. And they say that it appeared larger than the moon and it struck the river ice with a sound like a mass of jelly. There's your gelatinous description there. And they said it was dashed into innumerable luminous pieces. And it instantly expired. Then the diary says, the next morning we went to see what marks this meteor had made on the ice. Because here they're talking about it as a meteor. They're referring to it as a meteor in the diary. And they say that they could not discover a single particle was even marked. That's weird. There's no signs of an impact anywhere. Maybe it became a a USO, a submerged somewhere. Which is why I found it interesting you asked that question about USOs, given the bodies of water in Manitoba. there wouldn't be any trace. There was nothing there. How did it go through the ice? If it's okay, I think they changed their molecular structure. It could into have. gelatinous luminosity. I mean, honestly, that explains what they saw and why there's nothing there. It made this itself into this jelly-like form to maybe get through the ice into the water. I've never heard of that before. And these guys, these explorers, are explaining what trying to, their best to explain what they're seeing back in 1792. They went viral. Their diary did. Oh, that's right. Yes, it was a, it was a big hit in the. Manitoba newspaper, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. But it's you think about this. If it's a meteor, which is the 
most sensible explanation. Right. I mean, that's what he, David Thompson wrote in his diary, that they saw this meteor, but they went back and there's no impact. So how can it be a meteor? And this is probably what they were confused about the rest of their lives. How can it be a meteor without an impact crater? Mm-hmm. Where's where's any sign of fragments of the rock? There's nothing there. How is that possible? I also like the fact that there's two of them. Right. So it's not just one drunk guy right. in the middle of Manitoba. Uh, it's two guys, and they saw the same thing. And we had a similar story, actually, uh, on part one last week. I think her name was Annie Talon, and I'm just going based off memory from the last episode, where she talked about going through the Black Hills area right. of, of the uh, Dakotas, and her traveling party saw this, basically what they're talking about, almost like this thing streaking across the sky, made a loud noise. And we thought, well, it could be a meteor, but they had the same experience. They never found any type of impact site. This was much later than 1792. Yeah, they were, theirs was, I think, it was in the 1890s. Oh, it's weird. So, I don't know. <laughs> you figure that like, one out. It sounds like the aliens have made advancements as well. Yeah, really? From gelatinous luminosity to, you know, actually spaceships. Uh, it's very strange. It's a strange one. It, it would be easy to explain if they had found a, a crater somewhere, yeah. but there's no sign of a crash. So, And then they're questioning themselves. Yeah, you know, well, maybe we just... Imagined it. You decide on that one. Now this next one sounds like the plot for some type of sci-fi horror movie, to be honest with you. But according to multiple witnesses, again, this is a multiple witness account, we they they what you're about to hear actually happened, okay? Oh my god. (laughs) To begin, we fast forward a couple of hundred years from 1792 all the way up to 1967. That's when a cube-shaped UFO. Cube-shaped. <laughs> That's unusual. Also a new thing. Not very right? aerodynamic. No, no. It's it's like that stupid car. Was it the Edge? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Oh, if my God. If anybody drives the cube car, we apologize. <laughs> but they're saying that this close encounter happened on uh, June 30th, 1967, according to the documentation. It was in a rural town called Thompson, believe it or not, in Manitoba, and I, I did find it interesting how this uh, name of this town had the same name of the explorer yes, we were just talking about maybe. in our past story. Yeah. But they actually, I looked it up, they shared no relation. Okay. It was just kind of a coincidence. That's, because you knew I would ask. I, yes, that's right. I was wondering myself. David and Andrew. Yeah. I just found it fascinating, this explorer named David Thompson. And then there's this town called Thompson, Manitoba, but no relation to the explorer. But it happened in the same, with the same name. Weird. That said, imagine you're outside in front of your house, okay? You're just watching your kids play. Them and their friends are playing. Everything's normal. Until a giant cube-shaped UFO appears. Oh. And it starts to abduct one of your kids. What? The hell is this? This is bananas. Now, we bring back our Canadian UFO expert, Chris Rutkowski. Okay. And he, uh, he goes into detail a little bit more on this one. Oh, good. As they were playing, this wind came up and uh, this object appeared in the sky and one of the girls who was closest to it started being sucked up into the sky by this whatever it was. And they actually had to grab her legs and pull her back down to the ground to keep her from flying off and being abducted by a flying cube. What? Now here's the part that gets me, okay? If that wasn't enough, it was witnessed by the girl's parents along with the other kids who were there. They were, they're the ones who had to pull her down. Yeah. This girl is floating into the air right above their heads. Yeah, I don't, there's no explanation. Well, Rakowski had some final thoughts on it here. So I'd have to rank that fairly high up on the strange factor. Yeah, I'd say. <laughs> I mean, ding, that's ding, the best ding, we can ding. do. The strangeometer's pegging. Yeah. 
And this isn't, you know, some random time in prehistoric history. This is 1967. Right. Okay, there's records of this. There's witnesses. I was five. I saw it. No. Well, I mean... (laughs) That's what those kids, I mean, they were little kids, and they're still alive. I wonder what they have to say about Correct. it. I couldn't find any interviews with them, but it's it's a wild story. It is. And a Cuban UFO, why? How is know. that? It's so strange. Usually they're, what, pill-shaped, or you've got the triangular-shaped. Sure. You've got the saucer. The classic saucer, the cigar, cigarette-type right. thing, you know, uh, the elongated UFO. Never heard of a square one. A cube. cube. So, again, take that for what it's worth, but just... I, I can't help but to put myself in that position, having young kids myself. I mean, I just imagine myself being in the front yard or in the backyard or a plain tag or something, and then a giant cube comes from the sky and starts trying to suck one of my kids up into the air. Whoa. And you, and you, just out of reaction, you have to pull on them to bring them back down to earth, and then it flies away. And it makes you wonder how many other the encounters there have been but haven't been documented. Yeah. These are just the ones that are documented. Right, right. I mean, imagine the all the other ones that people don't talk about and are lost to history. So, I don't know. And you asked the question, Karen, why so much in Manitoba? Yeah, what's up with that? There was There's actually a nickel mine <gasps> oh. in Thompson, Manitoba, where this cube UFO was seen and almost they had this near abduction case. And actually, Manitoba itself is one of the biggest uh, sources for nickel. And this area of Manitoba by Thompson is very well known, I suppose, for having a big deposit of nickel where they could do a lot of mining for the element. Is I don't know. Is nickel conductive? I'm not sure. I think if it was gold, I'd be more interested. But now, nickel. I, I, I don't know what to make out of that. I know. I don't know. I mean, it's an element, but. I don't know if, you know, uh, otherworldly beings would use nickel for some type of fuel or conductor or power. What if, what if they're like this, it's an awesome source of power and we haven't like figured it out yet? I, I really, yeah, I mean, it's not, could be. I don't, I don't know what to make of the fact that Thompson is one of the biggest nickel reserves in the world. I just know that it does, and that's where this stuff is taking place. Okay. I don't know if that's a coincidence, so just wanted to throw that out there. But let's go ahead and give you some context here before we dive into our last story for today, because this following encounter here, and I know you might be thinking, wow, those were kind of quick, and I wanted to, I did that on purpose because I wanted to leave enough time for this final story. Oh, boy. It's so detailed and so mysterious that it actually appeared on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries back in the day. Remember that show, Robert yes. Stack? Oh, I loved it. That show, side note, used to scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> the, 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 the creepy music and Robert Stack. Oh, talk with deep so voice. good. He was so good at that. Yeah. And it was a great show. But some consider this to be one of Canada's most famous sightings, actually. And it was so famous, get this, not only was it on Unsolved Mysteries, but they even minted a coin to commemorate it. Was it a nickel? No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was, I didn't know they had this in Canada, but it was a $20 coin. Oh, $20 coin. I didn't know that was a thing. It came back. Uh, it came oh, out it's back like a Sacagawea. Yeah, those are dollar coins here in America. The, the $20 coin commemorating this story we're about to talk about came back in 2018, and the entire thing remains a mystery to this day. Really? This whole story. They, they can't pinpoint exactly what happened. Another cool fact about that coin, by the way, real quick, it glows in the dark. <laughs> what? Just, I, I know. I guess How they felt. Is it, is it gelatinous luminosity? I don't think it's gelatinous luminosity, but huh. it does glow in the dark. Did you look $20. up the mineral rights for Manitoba and who owns them? Does it say like. Um... I didn't go that deep. 
I'm sorry. But we can Google after the episode. If what are What are some alien names? <laughs> oh, I know. What? That guy in the middle of Venus. Oh, good well, looking. Valiant Thor. Valiant sure. Thor owns we the mineral whole, rights. There you go. Yeah, we did a whole episode <laughs> on him. But this one here, this story that we're going to talk about is referred to as the Falcon Lake Incident. I love nature. I love birds, animals. And also, I have interest in nature, so rocks and this and that. Every weekend, in the long weekend, I usually travel, go to the, out in the country and snooping in the, in the rocks. Okay, so... Snooping in the rocks? That voice you heard was uh, Stephen Michalik, who liked to snoop in the rocks. He was kind of an um, amateur geologist, if you will. Uh-huh. And this experience that he had is kind of thought about really as a Roswell type of experience in in Canadian UFO lore. I mean it's it's unexplainable. There's evidence and you'll you'll hear it's it's a very strange story. So on May 20th, 1967, Stephen McCalick was just out doing what he was talking about. He enjoyed nature. He liked going through the rocks, searching through, breaking them. He would go out with his thick gloves and welder glasses to protect from <laughs> shards of rock flying into his eye. Yeah, he was he, all set. He was prepared. He had his snooping gear on. Yeah, he was ready to go. He was doing his thing. And he was out in Falcon Lake in Manitoba, which just for geography's sake, oh, pinpointed. Falcon Lake. Uh, it sits about 100 miles east of Winnipeg. So... Winnipeg is in southern Manitoba, so you're talking, that's kind of the area here. So he was just minding his own business, he's doing his geology thing, when he started to hear a commotion down below. That's when he decided to go check it out. What was happening? He saw birds flying, there was a lot of noise going on, so he's like, you know, let me, let me see what's going on here. Here's our snooper. Looking on the tree, I notice a two-cigarette-like shape, things with the hump in the middle. I said, what the hell is that? One stay in the air, and the other one is coming down. Down, down. Beyond down. What the hell was that? What the hell was that? That's what I'd be thinking, too. You got the cigarette shape now. Uh Aha. But this is the same year as the square thing. I'm glad you caught that. And not only is it the same year, but what? We're we're talking, we said May 20th, 1967. Right. And then in the one that we were just talking about with the cube, it was June 30th, 1967. This is a month before. We're a month apart here. Yeah. From two incredible sighting cases. What the hell? In Canadian history. So I'm glad you caught that, Karen, because, that, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So I would be, again, that reaction there that Stephen had was exactly what I think what any of us would be thinking. You look up and you see this now a classic type of shape, right? Not a cube, but now something that we've heard before, cigarette, cigar type of shape, elongated UFO. And you see it coming down further and further down, and you're thinking, what the hell is that? Then he has no idea. There's two of them, right? There was two, but one came down. Okay. So Stephen continued to watch as this craft descended to the ground below. And as anybody else would, I know I would, he gets curious. So he begins to get closer and closer to the craft. He wants to get a good look at it. What is he experiencing here? So he wants to find some markings. He wants to see anything that could describe what he's seeing. I start looking for marks. I never see a U.S. or NASA or something written on it. No, nothing. I didn't see anything on it. But still, I was thinking that probably experimenting 
from the United States. Yeah, of course. So I love no, that so there. There's no end number. There's no nothing, tail number. Nothing. No serial numbers, nothing like that. No markings of any that would go back to any type of country or government. Where's his or accent from? The Ting. It's actually, he, I'm glad you asked that. He's a Polish immigrant. Ah. And, and he came over to Canada after the war. Okay. Um, so if you're wondering that, I'm glad you asked because he was, by all accounts, uh, just a quiet, unassuming guy. Yeah. Just living his life with his wife and his children. He had a family there and, you know, by the Winnipeg area, just just doing their thing back in the 60s. So, you know, I think you could probably gather that, too, just by listening to him. Seems like an easygoing, normal guy and a skeptic. Yes. You know, and I, so that's why I'm glad he said that there because he's thinking even in that moment in a. In a it's got to be the United States. Right. Something <laughs> that he can't explain. A scenario Always. that is unimaginable to any of us as this craft has now landed in front of him. And his first thought is, well, it's got to be some type of experiment, maybe from the Americans or NASA, whatever. Like, but it has to be it has to be human. Right. So he's a skeptic at heart, even when he's seeing it happen right in front of his face. Yeah. You know, he's not some kooky guy like I was abducted by aliens. Right. He was sitting there saying, no, I, I thought this was an experiment. What the hell is this? Right. So he got closer. He kept approaching the craft. He oh. described it, and I found this fascinating because, and I'll, I'll say it first, and I'll tell you why I think this is a pretty cool connection. He called it seamless steel, <gasps> almost yeah. as if it was carved out of a singular steel block. Interesting. I mean, imagine, like, I, I would compare it to, like, a Renaissance artist would sculpt a statue. They would start with that solid, like, marble block, right, and work their way from there. It's seamless, and that's what he saw with this UFO. And I find that fascinating, Karen, because if you go way back to the episode that we did on Bob Lazar, and he talked about his uh, work that he did in you know the Area 51 area, and you know as far as helping reverse engineer one flying saucer, as he called it in in a particular, he described it as seamless, this steel structure with nothing in there that would show you where any no parts rivets, were connected. No yes, exactly. Huh. So you have that description from Bob Lazar, who, as I know, is a controversial figure in the UFO world. Some people believe him, some people don't. But then you have this humble guy from Same Manitoba. Same description. And you know how we love to have, like, repetitiveness and things repeating. That's right. And we have it all the time. And so here you have a description going back from 1967 from a guy who's just a normal dude living in Manitoba on a farm pretty much, just breaking rocks for fun. And he's describing the same type of seamless steel that Bob Lazar described 25 years later. Wow. Makes you wonder. It does. So it's also worth noting the shape of the craft that Michaelic described, which, again, that more classic cigar cigarette shape with a dome on the top. You would assume that dome is where the flight controls would have been, right? Mm -hmm. You know, to have room for that. He also gave one more important detail that you need to keep in mind here when you hear it because... It had one section on the bottom layer, okay? He actually made a drawing of this UFO, and if I can, I'll put it up on the okay. UAP blog Good. on 850WFTL.com where, where we put the show. Um, he, he sketched it as it was sitting there. Oh, great. And it looks like your classic flying saucer. I think it maybe changed shape or something after it came down, but what he described on the bottom layer was around a dozen holes or so in it. And it was just on one particular, so even though you had this seamless steel, on one part on the bottom, you had this, this, I guess, rectangle of holes. 
And you'll see that in the picture, too, if I'm able to put that up on our blog page there on 850WFTL.com. So why? Mm. Right? Well, he goes on to describe what happened next. Okay. As he walked right up to the UFO and get this, the door, the hatch began to open. When the gate opened, there was a kind of shrieky talk like a, like a kid's in problem or something. Thinking of USA, I said, okay, Yankee boys. Yankee boys. Seems to me you are in trouble. Yankee boys. Yankee boys. in trouble? And I, I, I kind of, I don't know, maybe this is a stretch here, but this is what just popped I know what those holes were. They were peepholes, so you could see what was outside of the vehicle. Maybe. Almost like a periscope on a submarine. On a door. I don't know. Oh, yeah, and no, your peephole. Could be. But maybe keep that suggestion because okay. you'll hear in a minute here. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm making a stretch here in this connection, but he's talking about almost childlike chatter. I mean, a lot of times, at least with the greys, they're described as very small, right? Oh, right. Three to four feet tall. People say they resemble a child in their stature. Except they have three fingers. Yes. And big bulbous heads with big eyes and slits for nose. But aside from that, their stature resembles children. So I don't know. I just found that interesting when he said as far as the sound he was hearing. But he was, as he was calling out, hey, Yankee boys and all those different things, he wasn't getting any answers. So he even tried calling out to any possible inhabitants in any other languages, too. Oh, he's bilingual. Actually spoke Russian. Oh. Spoke German. Oh, multilingual. And, of course, Polish. That with English, he tried in four languages huh. to call out to whatever he was hearing inside this craft, and nothing seemed to work because he wasn't getting a response. So naturally, he did what any of us, I think, would do next. He became more curious. I don't know. Would you walk up to it? At this I'd point, run. I would be really freaked out. Yeah. And I'm not sure what I would do. I know, I mean, in modern day, I would have out my, my phone and I yes, would be recording it. exactly. But live on Facebook. Oh, of course. And then they block yeah. you. Yes, yes. And he's probably <laughs> for you know, fake news. Probably. I mean, you know, now modern day is different. But he became more curious, and he decided to go even closer, right up to the UFO itself for closer examination. So here's where he noticed the light getting brighter and brighter. <gasps> oh. That was coming out from the open hatch. It got so bright, in fact, that he actually had to put on the welder glasses that he was wearing while he was. You know, carving into his rocks, breaking the rocks. Prospecting he had to put that on. in the rocks. Oh, yeah. He was doing his prospecting. But this time he was using those goggles for something else because the light got so bright. But still, though, no one responded to his calls as all this was going on. He was Did still he trying. try telepathy? I don't think he knew how to do that one. Uh, he knew four languages, but not telepathy. Hmm. But then as all that was happening, as the light got brighter and brighter, the door then suddenly closed. Oh, boy. Just as if it was like if it was never open. So that's when he decided, you know what, I'm going to reach out and touch this thing. Oh, boy. Well, that's immediately singed the thick gloves he was wearing. Wow. So much so that it would be like if he touched a molten piece of metal. Okay. And which is interesting because he described this as seamless steel. And it was that hot. I mean, he had to, like, rip off his glove. It was burned. His glove was burned. They found his glove later on with burn marks on it. And so it was in this moment where Michaelic's life changed forever. And that's when this entire story takes a turn from strange close encounter to the thing of legend. Whoa. So much so that they made a coin from it. Da, da, da. That's a- worth what? 20 bucks. 20 bucks. According to Stephen, the craft, not me, Stephen McCaleck, <laughs> the craft started to rotate 
with now the section of the holes that he talked about on the side, those were now facing him. And after it rotated and those holes faced him, the craft shot off into the sky. Oh, my. As it did that, it left behind a trail of fire. Oh, it's wake turbulence was fire. And it shot right into his chest. Oh, my God. And it set his shirt on fire. So this is, it got pretty bad. This is where uh, Michaelic has a little bit more. After igniting with the fire, the craft lifts up 30 to 40 feet and vanished. Then I decided, so I said, now is the time for me to buzz off from here, go out. So I started going. Yeah, I'd say time to get out of there. So and that now see that makes me think that this these holes were like some type of grill exhaust okay. or whatever. Okay. I don't know. I mean, we always talk about UFOs not having any type of trail behind it, but this one, for whatever reason, was a little bit different. But then he started to experience strange symptoms. He was messed up. Uh-huh. Nauseous, vomiting, disoriented. He was burned. He found his compass, but the needle was going crazy, Whoa. spinning everywhere. So he was able to finally find his way home after nine hours being out and searching a way to home. And then he began to tell his story. He got checked out at the hospital. And believe it or not, because I know you're thinking the same thing I was thinking, it's got to be radiation yes, poisoning. Yes, yes. They said it wasn't. Really? But they did find something that was shocking. They removed his shirt, of course, right? They're doing the whole body checkup. And they found the burn marks on his torso matched exactly <gasps> the holes that he described seen on the UFO. Wow, that's crazy. Same shape, same distance as far wow. as you know the, the holes that were away from each other. And it made that imprint on his torso. And, I mean, it basically... They, they, they couldn't explain why. <laughs> it was just there. All of a sudden, he has these marks and it matches these holes he described as it flew off into the cosmos, this UFO. Unfortunately, he ended up suffering from these symptoms on and off for the rest of his life. The nausea, the vomiting. The you hear this from a lot of abdu- abductees. They same come thing. back on and off. And, but they also have these same symptoms. Well, here's right. Yeah, exactly. And normally you would chalk it up to radiation poisoning. But here's also one of the other weird things about this for him. The burns would heal, but then they would come back. Oh, wow. Every few months, this was the cycle. They would go away. They Maybe would come it was back. shingles. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe God, it was a coincidence. I don't know. But that's, That is so weird. That's the part that was weird to me. They, this, normally when burns heal, they scar, and that's the end of it. But then they would come back like they were fresh, and the doctors huh. could not explain why. Neither could he. That's really strange. I have to ask about the coin. Is it still in circulation? I think it is. It came out about four years ago. Oh, okay. So, And is his face there. on it? Uh, it's more of like an artist depiction of okay. what he described. So later they did do studies at the site where he had his encounter. They found that the area was radiated. I'll bet. And they even found shards of extremely rare and pure silver. And those shards were radiated. Oh, that's interesting. So what are we to make of this entire thing? Did they find magnetism because the compass was spinning around? I don't know if they went that far into it, but, I mean, the, the compass spinning is also something we hear about in some abduction and sighting and cases, too. And crop circles. Right. I mean, but they did find this big burned area as well. Okay. Where he described the, the, the UFO being. For what it's worth, Michaelic himself always believed that he was a victim of a secret government experiment. He actually okay. never believed what... We are assuming here that this was a, you know, well, otherworldly craft. He didn't have a frame of reference. Right. So he immediately thought it's the U.S. Yeah. He thought this is some secret U.S. Those experiment that's Yanks. 
Unfortunately, he came across that nobody was supposed to see. Doctors were never fully able to explain or diagnose his symptoms. Hmm. They said it resembled radiation poisoning. They wanted to say it was radiation poisoning, but it wasn't. He passed away in 1999 from old age. Oh, bless his heart. But his story lives on forever in UFO and UAP lore. Awesome. So what was this? Yeah, what the hell was that? <laughs> was it Stephen McCaleck, what he thought... It, you know, he thought it was a government experiment. Was it that? Or was this some type of alien craft that, unfortunately, he just got a little too close to? I don't know. In 1967, there wasn't a lot of advanced technology that could do those things. I mean, if you believe his story, now he's the only witness to this. I don't see why he would have a reason to lie so specifically about something with all these details. I mean, other there's skeptics who say that he made it up. Yeah, but the symptoms of the craft that I left mean, the holes on him. And they kept coming back. Yeah. That's the part that gets me. That's weird. That's something you don't normally hear about from any other normal burn where it would heal and come back, heal and come back like it was new. And how is this not radiation poisoning? That's another thing, too. I mean, again, these holes on the craft, that's something we don't hear about a lot. Is that some type of exhaust grill? I don't. A lot of questions with this one. <laughs> there are. It's interesting, but I'm so glad you shared it because. That they were all in Manitoba, too, is interesting right. to me. Well, the Northern Lights, and we went far north up to Canada for this part two of Canadian Beauty, uh, Northern eh? Lights with the Canadian hotspots. So you make up your mind on these, you know, and that's what we always do. We give you the story. You make up your mind. Definitely one that uh, I've been racking my brain over since putting this together, and I still can't make sense of it. I mean, if I'm going to make my own assumption... Yes. He came into contact with another worldly being, the craft with you know, more technology than we could ever dream of right now or now or in nineteen sixty seven. And he's felt the effects of it for the rest of his life. But he never actually saw the beans. He heard chatter. He heard chatter. And then the door closed again. Right. So he didn't see who was inside. Right. That's interesting to me. So again, make of it what you will, but definitely something that uh I'm gonna be thinking about for a while myself. Yeah. Now it's- next time and UAP, we're actually going to stay in Canada, believe it or not. Okay. Because, and I'll be honest, these are stories I had never heard before. I'm glad I packed my yeah, keep, long johns, keep my long underwear. And, yeah, keep it all there. Um, but I came across these stories when I was researching these, and I thought to myself, what am I reading? It's weird. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just really? say that. The next episode is going to be called uh, Close Encounters of the Canadian Kind. Oh, my God. We're going to talk to Justin Bieber. No. 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 <laughs> Not so much. But that'll be episode 58. And they're really strange stories that uh, we're going to be throwing at you next time. Not to focus on one part of the world so much, but I, I just I got to get these to you. So. Yeah, and if you're living in another part of the world and you have some weird stories from where you live, let us know. Yeah, on our Twitter handle, at UAPodcast850. That's where you can find us on Twitter. We we love everybody who's been following the show on there. We get more and more followers every week after the show comes out, so we appreciate that because we get your feedback. Yeah. Uh, Matthias found me on Instagram. Yes. Because I have a Full Rigor podcast over there. That's right. So he messaged me there. Yeah, and you, congrats on your Full Rigor podcast. You Thanks. do great on great work on that. Thank you. So if you'd like to follow us there, at UAPodcast850 on Twitter, and you know any feedback that you have and... Um, and share the show. You Please. know, if, if you enjoy it, keep sharing it with your friends and your followers and things like that and family and let them know hey, these two crazy people have some pretty wild stories if you want to listen. We're not making anything up. We're no. just sharing. That's that's exactly it. So we'll do it again next time. Of course, 
Download, subscribe, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. And on 850WFTL.com, where the show lives under the podcast section, you can find it on the blog section there where we put the show all the time as well. So for Karen Curtis there, Stephen Diener right here, we hope you enjoyed this one. And when you, we do the next one, we hope you enjoy that as well on UAP, the Unidentified Alien Podcast. Thanks Talk to you again next time.